Welcome to the Earn Your Edge podcast. I'm Corey Lumberg with Altus Performance, and we are very excited to share our first episode of 2020. Uh, this is a timely one, as we know that many people are using this time of year to reflect back on what they've accomplished in the last 365 days, as well as analyzing where and why they may have fallen short of some goals. Uh, many of us use this fresh calendar as a reboot to hopefully deploy a, a new plan to attack a new set of goals. And I think that our guest this week, Todd Herman, will offer some very timely advice. Todd is a peak performance coach who works with high performers in all domains, from Olympians to professional athletes to business people, just anyone who's striving for personal excellence. And we came across his book a while back, which we've referenced in previous episodes. It's called The Alter Ego Effect. And its message is really aligned with a tool that we like to give to a lot of our players with regards to mental performance and identifying who your best performing self is, you know, what you look like, uh, what you feel like and how you act when you're performing your best. And Todd takes that idea and really expands upon it in a way that has helped us coach our athletes better as they prepare for their big moments. And Todd will dig into all the details in this conversation. But as a teaser, just think of Superman. He's Clark Kent one moment, and then he hops in the phone booth and he comes out as Superman, his alter ego. And that that exhibits all of his most powerful traits and superpowers. And Todd's message is basically designed to help you identify your Superman and understand how to best to activate it. So this is one that we've been really excited to share as we really believe in the message. So we're thankful that Todd spent an hour with us and we hope that this helps kickstart your year and you'll take some time after this episode to create your alter ego and make 2020 your best year yet. So please enjoy this episode of the Earn Your Edge podcast with Todd Herman. I guess as a lead-in for those that don't know you, how would you introduce yourself if you were um, introducing yourself to maybe a stranger, a group of strangers at a cocktail party? Yeah, uh, I think there's multiple different ways that I could do it, but uh, typically what I tell people is I help ambitious people do tough stuff since Justin Bieber was a baby. Um, so uh, I'm a peak performance coach and uh, and trainer, and what I'm really good at is putting together uh, training systems to help people get a consistent, replicatable peak result, time in uh, and time out, like over and over again. Um, and a lot of that comes out of the fact that, you know, I've got 17,000 hours working with people one on one. Um, that's not counting all of the group stuff that I've done around the globe, speaking, training, all that kind of stuff. That would be like another, you know, 25,000 or 30,000 hours kind of thing. But uh, 17,000 hours of that and, and of those hours, that's working with uh, a lot of the most elite athletes on the planet. So there is a very big difference between the stuff that people consume in a lot of very popular books on how to get the most out of themselves and the stuff that the people who are operating at the very top are actually doing. If you had to list the one or two biggest differentiators that you're describing right there, what would they be? One of the really big differentiators is the uh, complete lack or care of what other people think of them. Mm. It's, it's so socially and psychologically unpopular to say that, um, and that's because the masses, for the most part, are so concerned with the gravitational pull of what other people are thinking of them that if they unshackled just that alone, it would make a huge difference in their ability to actually go out and act on the things that they know they should be doing or want to do because those societal 
concerns, which are kind of almost baked into us anthropologically and biologically, which is the way that we're built. You know, being kicked out of the tribe is a back 10,000 years ago was a, you know, um, a fast pass to being consumed by the saber-toothed tiger. But that just isn't the case anymore. But people are still consumed with that need. And I see it on at the pro level in any sport. It happens on the PGA or uh, European tours as well. That That is one of the very, very big things. The other, the other one is the massive, rapid speed of consumption of any new idea, whether it's big or small, that will help them make a 0.1% difference in their play. So many amateurs, or even like, I make a very big difference between an amateur and a pro. An amateur and a pro in my world is not someone who's getting paid. I have got a pro athlete that I worked with that was 12 years old, hockey player, probably the, I, I mark him down as the second greatest leader I've ever worked with, a uh, little Timmy Hamblin out in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, a little hat tip to Tim if he ever ends up hearing this, um, and that was probably 16 years ago, so he's uh, 28 probably now or 27 now, but uh, a pro is it's the way that they approach the game. So just because you're getting paid doesn't mean you're a pro in my books. You've got to earn it. Um, in my world. And that comes with the maturity of the way that you approach your sport and really, really solid pros. They're not like amateurs look for like, how can I triple my results or double, or I'm looking for the biggest swinging thing that I can make to uh, improve my game. That's not how pros think. Pros are looking for the marked little incremental things because all that stuff adds up. Well, one of the tools that we know that you use and probably one of many is the alter yeah. ego effect. And, yeah. and that's, we, we were drawn to the book because it has a lot of similarities and some practices that we have here and working with our clients. And it yeah. really, really resonated with us. And, and while I say it, it was similar, it, it goes far more in depth than kind of anything we've ever put into practice, which is why mm -hmm. we really appreciated the work. And I, I really want our listeners today to, to get an idea for, uh, how to kind of grow that tool and integrate it yeah. in their pursuit of high performance. So to start into the conversation of the alter ego effect, I think it's best illustrated in some of the real life examples that you shared in the books. And I was wondering to, to start us out, if you could share some of those, um, some of those other athletes that we'll know and recognize and how they mm -hmm. used an alter alter ego effect to help them. Yeah. So the the book uh, so that what's inside the book is is the method of how you actually create an alter ego um and the, the reason i call it the alter ego effect is because the effect of an alter ego is that it allowed clients not just clients but people throughout history other phenomenal athletes public figures entertainers to help them actualize themselves, to act, you know, to actually get out there and do the things that they wanted to do, um, but we're finding some sort of resistance in, and and that's really really important because before I kind of get into the alter ego thing and some of the stories, it's important before people start backing away from the concept and the idea because I I just you know I'm the kind of 
I'm the go-to world expert on this topic and have been for like 15 years. It's what I was really known for. What it became well-known for was building out the basically performance identities of my clients. And I just never shared it because it was always my secret sauce. It was my, you know, KFC 11 herbs and spices because the moment I knew that I wrote the book or whatever, that there was going to be all of a sudden, um, you know, 5,000 new uh, life coaches that were out there training people on the alter ego process. And so now that I'm at the career level that I'm at, I was, and, and I know its impact more broadly beyond the world of sport and entertainment, I, I really was very passionate about getting that idea out there. But um, what it actually does, what the alter ego, it's not about faking it to make it and all those kind of like old, you know, bullshit terms that have been out there for a really long time that, you know, amateurs like to throw out there. It's, it's using, our greatest gift as human beings, which is our creative imagination, to elegantly sidestep the unconscious forces that typically will hold people back, resistance, fear, doubt, worry, even personal traumas that have happened to them, where it's have, they have a tough time seeing themselves be successful at something or even pursuing the success. Um, and our creative imagination is is truly our superpower. You know, we don't need to look at superheroes and go, oh, wouldn't it be wonderful if I had a superpower? No, 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 we do. It's the thing that makes us most unique on the planet amongst other species is that we are able to build stories and narratives in our own head. We're able to bypass those unconscious processes that typically stop us. And an alter ego was for me the most powerful way I could make that happen with athletes. And my, my first ever kind of experience where I got almost maybe some external validation on its power was when I was speaking in Georgia at this big, uh, this kind of sporting kind of conference in the south uh, in the southeast. And as I was in the green room, kind of waiting to go on stage uh, through the door, and I was by myself in the room, and uh, in through the door walked what I think is the greatest specimen of a human uh, or of an athlete that's ever performed, and that's Bo Jackson. You know only two sport athlete to be an all-star in both major sports football and baseball and uh he walked in and i'm like in my head i'm like oh wow that that guy won me a lot of games on tech mobile as a kid <laughs> he was the cheat code to anyone who ever played the 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 game because he handed the ball off to him and he could never be tackled and uh and so he walks out to me he's like hi Ambo jackson i said yeah i know who you are i'd be a, a terrible practitioner in sport if i didn't know who you were and uh he laughed and we had a great little chat and then he said uh are you are you talking today and i said yeah i'm about to go up next and he's like oh what are you going to talk to the kids about and i said oh, i'm going to talk to them about really just mastering their mental game but specifically i'm going to talk to them about using um uh, alter egos and secret identities to help them really unleash all their capabilities um and perform like they know they can and he's kind of stopped for a second cocked his head to the side and thoughtfully said uh you know bo jackson never played a down of football his entire life and i was like interesting tell me more and he said well you know as a kid i was a pretty angry kid and was uh, pretty uncoachable and while it sounds like anger would be a really good thing for a running back to have in, in football it, it actually caused me to get a lot of penalties and i was fairly uncoachable and one day i was sitting down watching a movie and on the screen came this you know completely unemotional methodical calculating character and I thought to myself, wait a second, what if I took that out onto the field? And it was Jason from Friday the 13th. 
Um, and every time I tell that story, because I, you know, it's kind of a featured story I tell on stage, everyone's like, whoa, what? And I said, yeah, because your takeaway from that is that here's an angry kid who chose a serial killer to, um, uh, to use as an alter ego. But what you're missing is that his takeaway was, oh, it's an unemotional person. It's an unemotional character. And that's what he was struggling with was he was struggling with having too much emotion out there. So his mission became to destroy anything on in his path with the ball while being unemotional about it, as opposed to destroying everything on the field and being emotional and angry and everything else. Um, and so he said, you know, like when I'm on the field, Bo Jackson sit on the sidelines. Jason was one who is the one who I took out there with me. The term alter ego comes from the greatest Roman statesman and philosopher to ever live, uh, which was Cicero. And in 44 BC, he actually coined the term in a letter to a friend when he was sort of giving him advice on life and philosophies on life. And uh, so here is arguably one of the greatest you know, Romans to ever live giving amazing advice. And, in, and his first piece of advice was to use an alter ego, which is what he called the trusted friend or other I within. And it's basically internally bringing in an ally to help you navigate the challenging things that you need to do with maybe more courage, more confidence, more persistence and grit. So, so he's one. And then of course, I just like, you know, Beyonce and Sasha Fierce is a famous one from the entertainment world. Um, and, you know, tons of other athletes. You had Jerome Bettis, who's a running back who used the bus as a metaphor, right? And then you got Kobe Bryant, who created the Black Mamba. And Kobe Bryant didn't use the Black Mamba when he was in high school. That wasn't his alter ego or his character that he used. He was, he kind of very easily dominated athletes, got into the pros. Now he's up against, you know, the best of the best and um, was doing extremely, extremely well, of course, when he started his career. But when he actually came up against a personal trial, which was the uh, sexual assault case that got brought, brought up against him in the early 2000s. He felt like he was losing himself. He was losing his identity. He was losing his edge. And he started watching a movie. Again, another guy who kind of got his inspiration from a movie, but he was watching a movie, um, which was Kill Bill. And there was a scene where the Black Mamba came in, and, and that's when he adopted – he just sort of identified with it. He's like, that's what I need to take out on the court is the Black Mamba. And then he did the next step, which is something that I talk to people about which is now you want to immerse yourself into that character as much as possible. Know as much as you can about the Black Mamba snake. And so Kobe immersed himself. He probably knows more about Black Mambas than any other biologist on the planet and knows its traits, knows its characteristics. And, uh, and that's what he embodied when he went out there to perform. And for him, he imagined the Black, the black Mamba just living in a cage in his head. And, you know, he was like, game, you know, all bets are off once I release this thing from the cage. And, and that's, what, that's what he did. Now, the great thing about this is it's not just about using, say, Jason from Friday the 13th or Black Mamba in these kind of menacing um, characters. But there are other sources of inspiration that can be used to be untapping a more playful side of you, a more easygoing side of you. Um, and it's not just reserved for the fields of play of sport or entertainment. Um, you know, Martin Luther King 
used this exact idea to help him write his speeches. Um, he stepped into what he called his distinguished self in order to write those speeches and say the things he needed to say. Winston Churchill used his hats as a what we call a totem or an artifact to help him step into the characteristics and traits that he wanted to display depending on the situation and circumstance that he was going into so that he could play with what he called his many selves. I guess what you're uh, talking about there is it's situation dependent. You're giving permission yeah. to the individual to, 100%. Uh, let's say, create a variety of different um, alter egos, permutations of whether it's um, yeah. imagined people, uh, fictitious or real, to yeah. fit the situation. Yeah. And again, this this conversation, like the, the, what I love talking to is practitioners like you, like you guys get it, because even when you said you're like, you know, we've used a form of this in the work that we do, like this resonated with this. Because, and, and why is that? That's because you guys are actually on the the practice tees. You're actually on the courses with people working with them. You know the real challenges of the field of play. Whereas most of the stuff that's bandied about in the world of sort of social norms or in books for that matter is a bunch of regurgitated crap that actually traps people. They're paradigms that actually cause people to underperform, to underindex in life. And really they're accepting terrible belief systems that are just not true. One of them is the stuff that we just that you just unpacked, which is we have have many sides of ourselves. We have many selves. The, one, of the, one of the worst traps that the world of spirituality and psychology has thrust onto the population is this idea that you have one self, one identity that you act through, that you should find your authentic self, that you, you should find your real self. It's complete and utter bullshit because it, has, it breaks under the field of play of practical application. I am far different when I go home to my three little kids here in New York City that are you know, six and under than I am while I am working with my clients or I'm training. I am a challenger personality type. If, you have, if anyone hasn't figured that out, I'm a challenger personality type, but that's because I've got a lot of you know, muscle and sinew and calluses from working with extraordinary people on the real field of play of life, not on writing out and trying to be an influencer or something like that on a topic. But when I go home, the last thing my kids want is a challenger personality type. They want a more fun, playful, patient dad. And so what I'm really good at helping people with is being extraordinarily intentional as to who and what is showing up on that field of play, custom built to help you win under the conditions and rules of that particular field right? It's, it's so important that people, when, when people get this, that is when I feel like I've just flicked the switch on someone's performance across all the areas of their lives. And it's extraordinarily fun to see because what you've just done is you've unshackled someone from terrible ideas that they're supposed to be, oh, I'm supposed to be the same no matter where I go. Right. No, you shouldn't be. That's what a fantastic way to under index and underperform in life. No, you need to develop your skill sets, buddy. Like, you know, I, I don't know how many athletes you've seen who've got a phenomenal message that are highly skilled in their sport, you know, golf, say specifically, and then they're asked to go out and give a speech and they just show up because they think that their um, their notoriety or their brand is going to help carry the message. No, it's not. Just like you had to get on the uh, practice uh, field in order to perfect your swing, you better get really good at knowing how to say things in an impactful way that leave people going, 
wow, that guy just blew me away. One of the more common questions that we get from Altus clients and listeners is how do I spin it like a tour player? Well, the first step is to treat your equipment like a tour player, and that means that you've got the right golf ball and you've got fresh grooves. Visit Vokey.com to see the spin research that Bob Vokey and his team have conducted to better understand how grooves wear over time. After 75 to 100 rounds of golf, you owe it to yourself to test your grooves to make sure that they're still getting maximum spin from your wedges. Find a fitter at Vokey.com for a spin test soon. You touched on a couple of concepts there that uh, I want to pull on a little bit more before we di- maybe dig in deeper into mm-hmm. how, how do you build this and yeah. um, and, and make this a powerful tool and turn it into a superpower. And one of those concepts, uh, a favorite author of ours, Ryan Holiday, who you're probably familiar with. Yeah, I know Ryan. Um, yeah, just wrote Stillness in the Key. And Corey, help me out here. The quote where he goes, uh, an abundance of information creates a poverty of attention. Is that right? Yeah, Is it correct? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. With, with, with the fire hose of stuff that comes at us that we can pick up on, self-help books, psychology, whether it's consumed on YouTube or uh, through the written medium, it, it's, yeah. it's really tough for uh, the listeners out there and quite frankly for us as coaches to road test the durability and effectiveness of all these Great. I'll give, you, I'll, give you the, I'll give you the one question to ask. Awesome. One question. Does the person who's dispensing the information actually work with people one-on-one? They have to be a coach, a consultant, advisor, or a practitioner of the ideas. If they are not, then they are in my in in just the bifurcation of my world because I I follow nature as a rule. It's the simplest form in order to make a decision. Does something exist in nature? If it doesn't exist in nature, then it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Here's what doesn't exist in nature: the word balance. Balance doesn't exist. Doesn't there's there is no balance in nature. There is either growth or there is decay. Something's either growing or it is dying. If you don't put attention towards something, that means you have just committed and you've chosen to allow that thing to die in your life, which means it can deteriorate um, as a skill or something like that. Or if you're not putting any attention on your marriage, then don't be just, don't, don't, you know, find it odd that there is some sort of decay that's happening in that particular area of your life. So one of the things is um, if you get inspired in order to pursue some sort of topic category, let's take habits as an example, okay? Um, Now, uh, a friend of mine, James Clear, just came out with a book called Atomic Habits. Very popular book in the last year. Um, Now, if I'm going to actually now pursue the pathway of making major habit changes in my life. If I picked up that, if that was my first introduction to the topic of habits, um, that's great. And that's what influencers do. Sometimes they open up the idea topic for us. But then when I want to make the actual change happen, I go and ask myself, who's the practitioner? Who's the one doing the work? Well, the real go-to expert on the planet is BJ Fogg. BJ Fogg, he's the head of the Stanford Behavioral Science Lab. He does this work daily. He's probably one of the most um, copied, uh, you know, I'd say thought leaders in that space. More people rip off his stuff than anybody. So he's the person that I'd want to go to to get the actual help because James does not have a business where he works with people one-on-one. 
he can have, you can have a membership site or you can have blah, blah, blah. Doesn't change the fact that you are not on the field with someone because there's a lot of psychological phenomenons that exist inside of groups. Group think as one. You go to a Tony Robbins event and Tony Robbins, you know, on day two says, hey, did anyone do the affirmations that I said to do last night? And everyone raises their hand. Well, what actually happened? Psychologically, what happened inside of the minds of the people sitting there was a group of people did do the affirmations. They were buzzed from the entire emotion of the event. They did the affirmations and they felt really good by doing the affirmations. A bunch of other people didn't do the affirmations, but because they didn't want to feel left out, they simply raised their hand because they don't want to be looked as outsiders inside of that big tribe. Um, and you know what? That's, that is one of the most dangerous parts of ideas. Terrible ideas have been spread because people sitting inside of groups think that it's a real thing, but it is not. So just that to answer your question, find is ask yourself the question, does this person work with people one on one? Because if they don't, they are missing the nuance, the nuance and the details matter. Well, and as you you mentioned us as practitioners, we read this alter ego effect and we understand the importance and you know it's our job yeah. to try to get the best performing self to show up and so this is our daily work but yeah. if i'm a listener and who's not an, you know a practitioner and who's not doing this on a daily basis but i am an athlete what yeah. are the, what are the signals that exist that indicate that there's a need for an alter ego there's a need for me to develop this other version of myself or to maybe put it a different way to set these really really clear intentions on how yeah. i'm going to show up yeah. So what I talk about consistently with uh, with with regards to the book is, um, the 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 process that I lay out in the book is a powerful way to build an identity. Period. Sure. Whether you use an alter ego as an inspiration to help pull out the qualities that you want or not, I really don't care. What I but what I do know though is that a good chunk of people are very much struggling with the inability to see themselves be successful on that field. So that's one thing. If you have a tough time truly believing, like you, you say, well, I can hit the exact same shots as insert the name of any one of the top 10 players right now. I can hit all those shots. I know on any given Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday, I can play head to head with those guys from a skill base. Okay. Everyone focuses on the skill side. Okay. That's fine. But on the mindset side of things, do you fundamentally have an innate, just naturally operating belief and seeing, your, uh, seeing yourself as someone who can not only beat those people or the scores, but destroy them? So that's one place is like if you, if you have a tough time seeing yourself or really feeling it, that's, that shows that there is a conflict internally between what you know to be true as skills that you've developed and the internal sort of thermostat that has been set as to how you see yourself. So instead of me trying to rah-rah you into believing in yourself, which is a black hole, good luck to everyone else who wants to do that. I don't care about that. The alter ego was my way of very quickly, very simply – building out a brand new identity to help you, that's custom built to help you win that encompasses the skills you've already developed. I'm not talking about developing someone into a maxofacial reconstructive surgeon, you know, that they use as an alter ego to go and perform maxofacial reconstructive surgery. That is not what this is about at all. What this is about is I know there's a lot of people, pros, amateurs, doesn't matter, 
that are under indexing when they know that they've got better skills than are showing up on the actual field um, and helping them to develop an identity that does not have any conflict between the skills getting out on the field and the skills um, and, and, uh, and the results showing up. And I, so that's, yeah, yeah so that's, I, that's one place. I a hundred percent agree that you can use these to build a, an entire identity, but I think that the appeal of the alter ego effect or the alter ego is, you know, to, if I told someone you need to change your personality and change your identity, that's a pretty big ask. And that seems yeah, right. a little, little overwhelming. But yeah. if I then say, you know what? for the next hour, this is a performance and I need you to be this person for the next hour. Let's define what yeah. the, what those attributes are and let's, let's put those on. Let's wear those for the next hour. To me, it's, it's a lot more you know compelling. It's a lot easier to do. And, and so then it, it becomes mm-hmm. a, an empowering thing that seems achievable. So, yeah. so we, we realize that it's, you know, it's exciting to be able to put on this alter ego. Can we talk a little bit about, you know, and we're going to point people we already have recommended to, to go through the entire book, but yeah. can you, you kind of approximate the some guidelines, the process of, yep. of the steps that I should go through in building that alter ego uh, initially. Yeah. yeah, and so one thing I also want to point out to people too is um, when I discovered this as a common thread that was weaving together some of my you know top athletes back in two thousand three, two thousand four. Um, what I go to my 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 kind of the curious side of my brain goes, well, isn't that interesting? I wonder why that is psychologically or biologically, like scientifically why that is. And so in the book, you're going to see all of the different kind of scientific, the reasons why scientifically and psychologically this thing works. Um, the most dangerous and the most difficult thing that people have been trying to do on a mindset side of things is get people to do things that, um, run counter to the way that the brain works. So this actually works in congruence with how our creative minds like to operate, which is why it gives people such a powerful performance boost immediately because I'm kind of more known as like the quick, the kind of the quick hit artist in the mental game world. Like I don't work with people long-term. I don't really have a desire to work with people long-term. Um, I guess I'm more of a mental game coach, one night stand guy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and it's, I mean, I, I love, I love my work, but I love the variety because I think it's more important for me to have tons of examples. And, you know, if, you know, if I end up developing a really great, strong rapport with someone, then maybe we'll take it more long-term. But, um, the, the alter ego is just such a, a, a quick elixir for me to help shift someone's personality, uh, or their performance personality. So, um, to, to your point, um, the process. Well, first, it's we always define a, an alter ego to a specific role or field of play that we're performing in. Okay, because like I had said before, the dangerous thing is to think of yourself as having one self because you don't have you've got one body that houses many sides of you, many different area or many different roles that you play in life. And so, pick the field of play that you might be might be most frustrated with. Um, and let's say it is golf just for the sake of obviously this, this, this podcast. So, so if it's golf, great. Um, then we could leave it as golfer or we could also, um, identify the actual, cause there's, there's different, even in the world of golf, the dangerous thing is to think of yourself as just a golfer. Um, there's, it, it's, it's far easier if you think of it as a tree that forms going down. So there's golfer and then underneath there's, there's the guy who goes out and drives the ball. There's the driver. There's the guy who has 
you know, long iron approach shots. There's the short, like all these things, there's the putter who goes out there because a lot of times it's not, you're not struggling as a golfer. Mm -hmm. You're struggling in one particular area of the game possibly. Okay. Um, and, and the guy that you need to maybe be successful on the, on the, um, the green might, might need some different qualities than the guy who is, um, showing up on the the tee box i have like i've got one golfer where he he's got two very different sort of internal uh personality trait sets custom built for the uh tee box and for the and for the green itself he was trying to be far too uh calm relaxed in both areas and in one area it kind of started helping him which was the uh green but on the tee box, he was becoming way too loose. He was losing his performance edge. And, um, and so we needed to bifurcate. We needed to surgically remove that sort of calm presence. When in reality, rage and anger are his two great focusers of energy while on the tee box. One of the most overlooked um, energy sources in sport is rage and anger. Now it would be really antithetical hard to, to everything else that you would hear. hundred <laughs> percent. But rage and anger is a f- amazing focuser of attention, and um, it's also an amazing focuser of energy as well. Mm-hmm. And so when he gets up there, he's sort of his. So his alter ego when he gets. It, he actually has this about uh, an eight-step process. He takes eight specific steps. Once he's backed, so he's backed away from the ball. And he's looking down the the fairway and he's picked his line of sight and, you know, he's, he's seen in his own head how he's strategically going to play the, play the hole. Now he has a specific goal for where he wants the ball to go. And then he has eight specific steps, just like a, uh, a field goal kicker backs away from the ball and then sets up, right? Well, he has eight specific steps that he's stepping into and each specific step he's building more and more rage and anger as he's stepping towards that ball. And then when he gets inside of his performance zone, which is if you think of a hula hoop going around a ball, um, everyone basically is standing inside of a hula hoop um, when they're approaching. When he steps inside of the, when he steps inside the performance zone, zone, he is at his all-time peak level of rage, and then he unleashes it through the club face onto the ball. Um, now you would never hear that. Right. And that's because everyone says that there's one only, they, they teach one hammer to hit the nail, which is, Hey, we have to have calm. We have to have presence, all this kind of stuff out there on Zen. Hey, I love the idea, but on the field of play, it doesn't work for everybody. Other people's personality. Now you take this person off of the golf course. What is he like? He is the most easygoing, likable guy, but he always felt like there was this other gear that he lacked. And it wasn't until we started playing with the dark side, which was rage and anger, that he found that other gear. On the green itself, he goes into more of a detailed analytical. So his alter ego when he steps on the the green itself is actually, I don't know if any of you guys ever watched Star Trek The Next Generation, but his inspiration to act through is data from Star Trek The Next Generation. 
he grew up, I mean, and I, I resonated with it because I loved watching, you know, Will Wheaton in the Star Trek The Next Generation back in the day. And um, so Data is his inspiration. And because he was always sort of, um, he never appreciated the sort of finer details of reading a putt, reading a green, and, uh, but Data would. So he acts through data when he gets up there, which has now put him into a far more methodical process um, and and become more analytical and less emotional because he would get too emotional with his putting. So that's step one. That's step one is like what area or field of play. And I kind of walked through the other steps a little bit mm-hmm. as an example. So the next step is, OK, well, what part of the way that you're performing in that on that field or in that role don't you like or are frustrated by or – is causing you to underperform, under-index? Is it that you lack confidence? You're insecure. You're thinking about what other people are um, are thinking of you. Um, you're paying attention too much to what the other competitors are doing. Like it could be any one of a number of things. You're again, you're lacking the confidence uh, in in your in your skills or your preparation or, or something like that. Who knows? It could be any one of a freaking 10,000 things for an individual. But what what are the things that are causing the emergency break on your performance to be pulled up instead of being released? So then the third step would be, okay, so if you've outlined that, what what's the flip of that? Like, what are the ways that you would most want to be showing up in that particular role to execute the skills that would help you to succeed on that in that role or on that field? And as an and or question, who already embodies the way that you would most like to be showing up? And that's where the source part, I call it the source code. Um, that's where the sourcing part of the alter ego comes in. And it's not always superheroes. It's actually very rarely superheroes that are people, people use um, as their sources of inspiration. It can be any one of a number of – it can be TV characters. It can be movie characters. It can be other mentors or role models that you have. It can be composites of things. Like when I I played college football um, and I was a nationally ranked badminton player as well, two sports that you know always go hand in hand with each other. Yeah. Um, but my, my composite alter ego that I used when I played football was – the name I used for it was Geronimo, which is an important part of the process. We always name the alter ego because when we, get, when we give something – a name, we give it form and substance in our creative imagination, which then makes it even easier for us to activate it. It's not just an idea. We give it name. Uh, we give it a name. Uh, so mine was a, a source of uh, Walter Payton, who was my hero. I'm a Chicago Bears fan to this day, um, which is frustrating. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, Walter Payton, Ronnie Lott, who was uh, a devastating defensive player for the San Francisco 49ers. And then uh, a tribe of five Native American warriors. So why I, even though I live here in New York City, I'm a farm and ranch kid. I grew up in uh, southern Alberta, south of Calgary, Alberta. And um, our particular uh, farm it has got like a, a rich history of Native American history on it. Actually, Sitting Bull, when they fled across the American border into Canada after the uh, Battle of Little, Big, Little Bighorn, actually settled in our area before they moved on Um to uh, another area. So I used to kind of go around and collecting uh, arrowheads around the old fire pits that used to be around. And so this was my kind of, I cried, I, this was my uh, my composite sort of tribe 
that I used in my head. And that's who I took with me out onto the the football field. It wasn't people thought they were playing against Todd, the skinny little runted kid <laughs> that couldn't put on any weight whatsoever, no matter how hard I tried. They didn't know what they were in store for, did they? They didn't know. Yeah. And it, and it helped me out tremendously. My mental game side of me was just so much stronger than other people. Um, and, uh, you know, I was just maybe one of those, just like Bo Jackson, I was just one of those lucky few who never unshackled myself from the creative imagination that I, that we all use when we're young kids. The great thing about this idea though, guys, and I tell people is every single person that's listening has already played with this idea. Right. You've already used it because every single person from the ages of one to seven, when you're developing yourself at the most rapid rate in your entire life is operating in what's called the theta brainwave state, which is your, where your creative imagination sits. It's where we soak up um, and can download new ways of doing things really rapidly. And it's also like if you're a parent, like I am to three little ones, you've got to yell out nine times for them to come to the dinner table. <laughs> and it's not because they're not, you know, they want, they're, they're yeah, not listening not to me. you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, they're just, they're just so locked into the creative sort of process, um, which is what the zone in the flow state really is. Right. So this became my way because at the end of the day, guys, every single tool that I'm trying to give people is to help them get into that zone state. Yeah. where every single ounce of your capability comes naturally flowing out of you unencumbered by resistance and you know um, objectional self-talk or anything like that and that alter ego was this playful little key that helped to unlock it which yeah. is one of the key points that this what this does is it keeps you in an attitude of playfulness and playfulness is the most underrated part of being a pro is that that sort of playfulness in your mind So let's take a quick break in the action to recognize one of our partners, Under Armour. It's Under Armour's mission to make all athletes better through passion, design, and the relentless pursuit of innovation. And that ethos or mission statement couldn't be more aligned with the Earn Your Edge podcast. We're thankful to be powered by Under Armour. I want, to, I want to go to a question that um, it may be a remover of obstacle question. Mm -hmm. And uh, so are there factors that you've determined or observed other than not building it in the right way, not building it uh, with the uh, methods of effectiveness you've just described or described in the book that dilute the effectiveness of the alter ego and when i when, I, when i'm thinking yeah. about this i'm thinking about like if you make it publicly known or yeah if you have successive performances where the alter ego that you are using uh, whether it's because of that alter ego or just because of the physical skills that are uh, used in conjunction with it aren't good enough that you lose faith in um the alter ego as a tool yeah yeah you, great great points your last one for athletes is probably the biggest one um where my, my, I'm a product of mentorship and apprenticeship and my mentor is, you know, I think he's the greatest mental game coach to ever live. Harvey Dorfman, he kind of wrote the Bible of the industry back in, uh, the early two thousands. He's known as the Yoda of baseball. Every major league baseball player, you know, aspired to basically work with him. And, um, when I was, when I was, you know, mentoring with, with Harvey, he said to me, uh, which is something that I, I never forget every single day. Uh, that our chief responsibility is to hold the mirror up to our clients and show them exactly how good they are or show them how 
how much they need to improve because people will naturally, especially men, men more than women, uh, men will either drastically over-index on how good they are or they will uh, less tendency-wise under-index how good they are. Women will have a tendency to under-index how good they are. Rarely does a woman, just because men have a a stronger and healthier ego uh, than most women do, and um, and so it's that side. It's when you're completely overestimating how good your skills are and you thinking that the alter ego is going to somehow save you in in that regard. So that's that's one of the big ones um, is that the other side of it is you um, making the mistake of sort of building out an all encompassing alter ego. So one that sort of operates on many different fields of play. Don't do that. Like be playful. That's the that's the most beautiful part of this process is to be playful. Like I was talking about me at home. Uh, when I go home, my inspiration for how I want to show up for my kids is born out of my father. Uh, very kind of, um, you know, not I wouldn't say stoic, but he was a, he was a man of few words. He was a salt of the earth rancher um, who always led by example. And um, but then also Mr. Rogers. Because when I think of like a challenger personality type, the way that I flex the muscle of how I show up for sometimes 10, 12 hours working with people every day, the opposite end of that would be what I think would be Mr. Rogers. Plus, I have a reverence for him. I grew up watching him. And if I think of a way that I could show up best for my kids, it would probably be him, especially at their ages that they're at right now. So he is at the opposite end of the spectrum of a challenger personality type. He's got more patience and playfulness and you know understanding and um, uh, skills. So when I go home, I have a very specific ritual. And I use that word, not routine. Uh, at the elite level, so I'd say pros um, or uh, people who don't sit at the elite level of their sport, they worry about habits and routines. At the elite level, we worry about rituals, and mindset, rituals and mindset, rituals and mindset. If you want to see, if you want to go read the most popular books out there, they're not going to be about rituals and mindset. They're just not Mm -hmm. because rituals and mindset is the stuff that the people at the very top concern themselves with. And a ritual is not a routine. A ritual is something that you're doing that has deep meaning and story wrapped around the reason that you're doing it. That's it. That's a, it's a huge part of it. So big distinction. So um, to kind of bring this down to earth for people, when um, I have this uh, kind of multicolored, rainbow-colored bracelet that my daughters Molly and Sophie made for me a couple of years ago, and it sits on a hook inside of the, the door in our apartment here in New York City. And uh, before I walk through the door, I use thresholds um, as anchoring devices for how I want to be showing up in the world. And when I say thresholds, I mean like doorways. Doorways are foul because it's a doorway is a like a you know representation of a new stage that you're taking. Mm-hmm. And um, so when I walk through that door, I'm I stop before I just bust, burt, you know sort of bust through the door like most people would when they come home. And um, I stop and I kind of you know regather myself as to you know what's what's laying on the other side of that door. How do I want to be showing up for the most important people in my life? And when I go through that door, I reach to the hook and I put on this bracelet and that bracelet, the moment I put it on is an embodiment of those, uh, people that I'm inspired by my father and Mr. Rogers. And while I'm wearing that bracelet, this is totems and artifacts stuff. Now, um, that is how I trigger this sort of super dad persona. And I snap it on my wrist 
and then I immediately go into action as to the first thing that I want to do when I'm around my kids, which is typically, you know, going and gathering them up, being playful or, you know, scooping them up and, you know, whether it's tickles or whatever the case is, but there's a shift that happens that's, that's there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so the, going back to your question, the mistake is that you're trying to build out something that encompasses, you know, all of the areas of your life. Don't do that. Um, because you're, you're not honoring the way that we're naturally built, which is through, you know, different roles that we play. But before we move forward or perhaps dive into uh, more of the artifacts, yeah. totems, uh, I, I want to go back on something you said because I think it's important for our listeners to hear. Yeah. Our listeners are more than likely highly exposed to uh, to coaching. And one thing you said uh, that you learned from Harvey Dorfman, looking in the mirror is a very important process. And yeah. uh, two quotes that come to mind, you, uh, we see things as we are, not as they are from Anais Nin. And one that uh, I heard you uh, uh, on a recent podcast you can't read the label when you're inside the bottle mm-hmm. so how important is it seeking advice from others to cultivate the appropriate uh, alter ego for the given field of play i mean i started this i started my uh, company 22 years ago when mental game coaching was not a thing really i mean it's it sat in a couple of disparate sports as a fairly natural part of the process but it was not anywhere near what it is now where it's widely accepted as an important part of the process. Um, and I laugh at some people who are kind of in the mindset world and they say, you know, my, my biggest challenge is that, you know, not many people will pay for mindset stuff. And I'm like, ah, you're talking to the wrong people mm-hmm. because all I have is people lining up to pay me um, for mindset stuff because they know that it's the most important thing. Like you can have all the skill training um, and muscle memory in the world, but if you – are not aligning the mental, emotional, and physical part of you, then all you're doing is just creating a heck of a lot of friction and conflict internally. And so 100%, it's so important to have that other person who you trust, who's extremely competent, on the outside looking in with your best interests at heart, um, operating to help you build out whatever skills you need to, to win. Uh, kind of the after we sort of helped develop that uh, that super identity, you know, the traits that you want, which was in step three. Then we go into step four, which is all about okay, so what's the totem or the artifact? What's the thing that you're going to use as an embodiment of the idea? And it's what it's doing is it's again, like I said before, I want to find what are the natural occurring ph- phenomenons already existing inside of you know who we are as human beings, and leverage those in the training systems that we build out for people to help them activate their um, performance self. And enclosed cognition is one of those kind of weird little phenomenons that human beings have, which is that we attribute story, attributes, traits to the things that other people wear and that we wear. And what that means is, is if you were to go and put on that same article of clothing that someone else is wearing that you've attributed something to, you will naturally unconsciously begin to activate those traits in the way that you show up. So there was a a great study that was done at the um, Kellogg School of Management a while ago to test this theory. What they did was they brought a bunch of young students into a room, first group. They gave them this sort of eye color test, which is if you've ever seen the word, there's this kind of test that goes around and it's got the word of a color, but then the 
word is actually colored differently. So it'd be the word yellow, mm -hmm. but it's in orange. And then the word next to it is red and it's in black. And what you need to do is you need to say the color, not the word, because our brains read the words before they see the colors. So it's extremely challenging to do that when you're, when you're reading yellow, but you have to say orange or something like that. Mm -hmm. So there's, you know, a, a variety of amounts of them and they want to test them for their accuracy and speed. So they do the test and they capture the data on this first group. Then the second group they bring in and they hand them a white coat and they tell them it's a painter's coat and they put it on and then they have to do the test. So they track the data, they leave. And then the third group individually, they come in and they hand them the exact same white coat, except this time they're told that it's a lab coat or a doctor's coat and they do the, the test. So what's the difference in the data? Did it affect anything? Well, it turned out that the people who were wearing the lab coat or doctor's coat, which was the same coat as the painter's coat uh, individuals, did it in less than half the time, and they made less than half the mistakes. Why is that? It's because the enclosed cognition side of things. They were, enclothing, they were enclothing themselves in the cognitive traits and abilities of doctors or people that worked in a lab which would be methodical, careful, and detailed. All traits and abilities that helps you when you're doing that type of specific test. So that's why context matters in life. Um, and the people who were wearing the painter's coat got no different results than the people who were just in their plain clothes. Then they reversed the test and they, did, they gave them a creative test. The people who were wearing the painter's coat, they excelled. The people who were wearing the doctor's co coat or lab coat, even though, exact, again, same coat. I'll give you another story that you can add to your arsenal Beautiful. of it happened just this weekend, uh, the European tour for the first time they were in South Africa. And for the first time ever, they allowed the players to wear shorts because of the heat, the excessive heat that they had. And the player that ended up winning it had an interview. They, or they interviewed him maybe Thursday or Friday. And he was one of the few that was wearing pants. Yeah. And they asked him, well, why are you wearing pants? He's like, if, if I wear shorts, I feel like I'm practicing. I feel like I'm playing in a pro-am. I don't feel mm -hmm. like I'm here to compete. And despite, the heat, you know, when it went ahead and wore the, the pants and, you know, that's going on as I'm reading about enclosed cognition. So there's another example that you can add to your arsenal there. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a power of story and meaning. I mean, it's our brains are so powerful. Yeah. And another one, the TikTok was another one. I know that we're short on time, here, but one that I wanted to, because yeah. having that trigger, that activation ritual that you have, and you shared that almost the placebo effect of I'm going to, uh, I'm going to, this is my pill that gives me yeah. these superpowers, right? What other yeah. kind of similar activation strategies are like the Tic Tacs? Yeah. So, um, you know, that, that idea of the, so the, when I'm talking about the, say the story of the lab coat, that's, that's already using existing memes and stories that we've, uh, got inside of our, you know, our brains. Those are kind of latching onto already existing, you know, stories that we've got. But the great thing about human beings is we can, we can create story and meaning from anything. That's what the power of the ritual is. So for me, like the bracelet, the bracelet's also a reminder of my kids, um, cause they made it for me, but I'm attaching the story and the meaning as what it, what it means to me. And uh, so there's, uh, uh, you know, I've got a equestrian rider who went and got a, a clasp, uh, you know, a cuff that was made specifically that represented Wonder Woman for her. And what I like to do is if you've got anything that you're going to put on that's got a fastener, make sure that there's a loud snapping noise to it because sound is a powerful trigger and activator of using these tools that we've been talking about, um, sound and, and, and smell 
um, are, are great activators. And, um, yeah, I talked about in the book how I would, when I was first starting out doing this, I'd give my clients a box of Tic Tacs and, um, and on the outside of the bottle, we would, we would write what the traits are that are inherently inside of each Tic Tac. And when they would take a Tic Tac before they would go out onto the, the ice or the field, whatever it was, that's when they were activating their super self, their super identity, their alter ego, whatever. There's just no shortage of things. Hats are powerful. Glasses are a powerful, like eyewear are a powerful um, totem artifact. A lot of times because they already embody some specific traits that we believe naturally as human beings about, you know, just there is a pervasive belief that people who wear glasses are smarter, more intelligent, more articulate. Well, it turns out in a recent study that just came out, which is kind of something that I've seen personally, that when you wear a pair of glasses, whether they're prescription or non-prescription, you actually increase your IQ by a factor of 10 to 15 points. I'm going to go buy some glasses today. <laughs> <All right. laughs> so I again, I've got, I've, yeah, so, so one of my guys who happens to be um, uh, a, a pro golfer, he's recently started to um, wear glasses when he steps onto the, um, the green. I'll give you another one that I just thought of that I hadn't considered it until now. Um, we played around with this idea of alter egos with a group of young athletes and mm -hmm. a lot of them were kind of superhero type of, you know, 11 to 14 yeah. year olds. And when we went outside to kind of put it to, to the test, one of them grabbed their, um, sunscreen. And when applying the sunscreen was like, here are my superpowers. I'm applying my superpowers. Oh, that's great. Which, you know, our dermatologists <laughs> will, will like that as well. because <laughs> Whatever it takes. Yeah, exactly. Right uh, um, I know we got to wrap up here and uh, we really, really appreciate you spending course, some man. time. And this is a book that we've already asked that our listeners, you know, check out and pay attention to. Uh, is there anywhere else where we can point listeners to learn more? I know that there's also some online courses and, and a masterclass yeah. that you have that we'd love to point them towards. Yeah. I mean, uh, well, first off my kind of home base on the interwebs is uh, toddherman.me. And then, uh, you know, from there, all of kind of my social media presence is out there and I, uh, am about to start publishing way more on, on YouTube and, uh, relaunching. I had a podcast that was very successful for a while, but I had to walk away from it, um, for a bit, but I'll be relaunching more stuff on, you know, mindset and, um, performance ideas to help people, you know, truly show up like they know they can. And, you know, if there's one thing that my dyslexia, I'm a dyslexic. And so the one thing that I think that my, uh, my learning enablement, a lot of people call these things learning disabled or something like that. And I am, I've got this powerful gift apparently that allows me to sort of thin slice things and make things more simple for people. And, uh, you know, I'm excited to kind of get more of that stuff out into the world of like YouTube and Instagram and across the, the, the internet. Thanks very much for listening to this episode. If you want to learn more about Altus Performance, go check out altusperformance.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Team Altus and Instagram at Altus Performance. Also, thanks to Cordy Walker for his wonderful production work on this and coming episodes of Earn Your Edge. Your Edge.